Welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast, where you can hear messages from our church that will directly impact your life. Our hope is that by listening to God's Word, your life will be transformed by the power of His truth. To learn more about our church, visit cornerstonebv.org. Here's another message from Pastor Jamie at the Cornerstone Church. Amen. Well, quick change uh, with some of our shortened service, so um, try not to fall here as I stand up here. Uh, First time I did this illustration was, uh, I think I was in my 20s, and we did it with our youth group, and it was pretty powerful for them, but it's really for all ages, Um, but I'm going to have you use your imagination. Because of COVID, uh, we can't get near each other, so um, uh, I want you to pretend I have all of you come and gather around here, right? And we have a contest. We grab hands and we see if I can pull all of you up or if you can pull me down to where you are. Who do you think would win? You know, right? Come on. <laughs> that's enough of you, Tom. All right. All right, let's, that's a lot. You probably go, that's a lot of people. No one would win that, not even the Hulk, right? But what if, um, say, five of you came and did it? Really the same result. I might be able to hold on a little bit longer, but eventually I would not get five of you up here with me, right? Now, reverse it. Take those same five people, and they're up here. Maybe we'd have to have a bigger platform, and I'm down there, and we have that contest. Even though, because I now have gravity on my side, I might be able to get a couple, I might be able to stay up, but those five people would pick me up. And the idea of that illustration is the importance of the togetherness. And and Pastor Bob, who who you just saw in the video there, and I were talking uh, a number of weeks ago, and just kind of praying and talking about, um, there's sort of a crisis, not necessarily in our local church, but in America in general, and that is the deprioritizing of gathering together and how important that is and should be because when we aren't with the gathering, we get pulled down by the world, but when we are together and, and sometimes we're not feeling it and we gather with other believers, we get pulled up. So that's what we want to just take a week to, to just look at um, and, and, and talk about. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for um, gathering us here, and I thank you that um, you have a purpose and a plan. And Father, we have um, guests here, maybe for the baptism, um, but you still have a purpose for each one of them, for each one of us, for this, your word. And so, Lord, I ask that you would, through your Holy Spirit, meet us, meet our hearts and minds. Maybe it's just confirmation of a direction we're already going, an encouragement to keep going, or maybe it's conviction to change our course in some way. Lord, let your truth dwell in our hearts richly today. Bless this time as we look at your word together, that it's an active time, not just for me, but all of us, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, so uh, we, as you might know, we finished a sermon series in Philippians, and then we kept the same banner because we're really keeping the joy theme for one more week. Um, and next week, we're going to start a fall series in Jesus' parables. But we want to take just one week, and we're going to look at um, this passage in Hebrews chapter 10. So we will put it on the screen, so no worries, but if you did bring a Bible, you can open to Hebrews 10, verse 19. And um, we uh, like to, we, we used to say to people when we had our Bibles in the pews to, uh, uh, if you don't own a Bible at home, to feel free to take one of those with you. It's a gift. We'd want everyone to have God's word. Um, but 
because of COVID, we had to take them out of the pews, but they are in the back room. So not now, um, but after the service, if you're like, you know, I don't have a Bible, I would love one, just grab one. We will not prosecute you for stealing. That is a gift. So grab one or let us know we'd love to, or maybe you have a friend who wants one. We just love to give out Bibles. We'll replace them. All right. Um, And and also, I just want to really quickly thank a number of people showed up Thursday night as we uh, moved a bunch of stuff up into the gym and threw a bunch, saw the dumpster out there. You probably walked by it. Um, And, uh, don't worry if you weren't able to come. We really didn't need any more help than we had. It was amazing. It took only an hour. Um, and uh, just really thankful because if it was me, uh, I'd still be doing it. So thank you. And my back would probably be broken as well. Um, so we have a saying in, in uh, our church. So, some of you will know. You can fill in the blank, right? Context is everything. See, you, you do learn over years. Um, and it's probably not everything. That's a little dramatic. But we like to say you don't want to take a verse or a couple of verses out of its context without understanding why it's there. Because if you do that, you can easily spin your own meaning, right? And so um, that's why we usually go through large sections of Scripture or books of Scripture because you really the context is all part of that series. But since we're doing kind of a one-hit sermon here today, uh, just really quick, I'm not going to summarize the entire book of Hebrews, but it's important to know the context from which our passage falls. And uh, the writer who wrote this, we actually don't know who it is. There's a lot of conjecture, and scholars have all kinds of ideas, but we don't know. He never identifies himself. What we know is he's probably the best writer of the New Testament. Um, he uh, tremendous Greek uh, and, and very educated author. And the audience, we also don't know specifically, but we assume because of the content of the book, they are Jewish Christians. So what I mean by that is they were out of Judaism. They believed that Christ is the Messiah and the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophets and law. So, so in, and in some way, shape, or form, at least some in this community are gravitating back to what all human beings like to do. And that's gravitating back towards performance religion. Right? That if I do something, if I do this ceremony and write and I, I need to cleanse myself and I need to do certain prayers and I need to do certain things and sacrifices, especially in Judaism, because they were required to do that. But he's reminding them throughout the book of Hebrews that Christ fulfilled all of that. Right? And so that's kind of the context as we get to our passage together. Hebrews 10, and let me just start with verse 19. He says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and the living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. Verse 21 uh, as well. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. So what he's doing here, he's about to give three commands to Christians. To that audience, but also to us as Christians. But before that, he wants to set it up as to why what he's about to command you to do, you can do. That's kind of like if I were to command you, I command you right now to jump across the Grand Canyon. You might want to know, Jamie, you're a little crazy. How can you guarantee that that is something I'm able to do? I couldn't, right? So that would be a command you wouldn't want to listen to. But he's about to command them some, some things, right? And this is why you can do what I'm about to tell you to do. And why? Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
He said, you don't need to go back. You see, if you grew up in the church, you've been a Christian a while, or, you know, kind of believe, we take for granted that we can talk to God anytime. We can approach the presence of God anytime we want, and we can, but the Hebrews writer is saying, you, you know, you, they didn't take it for granted at all because they came out of Judaism where they were separated from God. There was actually a curtain that separated, right, the Holy of Holies, which is where the presence of God was, and outside of that, and so they had a wall there, and only the high priest once a year we call it Yom Kippur, which means Day of Atonement, where he'd bring the sacrifice on behalf of the people, right? And, and, and they would, he would have to be cleansed, and there was ceremonies, right? So they understood not a togetherness, not a nearness to God, but a separation because of sin. And so he's reminding them, no, 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 Christ is your, the, the final high priest you needed. He sacrificed himself, his blood, his flesh, in your place. And what did that do? It tore the curtain in two, literally and spiritually. And so now there is a new living way that, that you can approach God at any time. And so he's saying that so then they'll understand that what he's about to command them to do, they can. Watch in verse 22. He says then, because of that, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And so what he's saying is you don't need to clean yourself physically like they used to have to do. You're spiritually clean because of Christ. That your sins are forgiven because of Christ, because of the grace of God. All we have to offer is the full assurance of faith, right? It is by faith you have been saved. The people baptized this weekend, all nine of them, not saved because of religious performance, not saved because of moral code, saved by the grace of God in Christ who died for them on the cross. And because of that, he commands us, not a suggestion, commanded to, on a continuous basis, draw near to God. That's the first command. Draw near to God. Draw near to God. Pray, worship, walk in his presence. At every moment you possibly can. And for us, oh, that's a big deal because we, we take it for granted. It, the, his audience did not take it for granted because they were not allowed to draw near to God. They were sinners. They needed a high priest. They needed a performance. They needed religious ceremonies to be cleansed. It says, not anymore because Christ has cleansed you. Not because God ignored your sin, but because it's been paid in full. Right? So he says, draw near to God. And then he gives a second command. He says, let us hold fast. That means cling to. The confession of our hope without wavering. For he, meaning God, who promised is faithful. Right? That's why we know we can draw near to God. That's why we know we can cling, unswerving. We can, we can never waver to our hope. You see, we talk a lot about hope. But for the Christian, hope is something we talk about until we desperately need it. When you go through a hard, hard time or you face your own impending uh, final death or someone you love. Friday, um, I gathered around a grave with um, the Haynes family, Dave and Beth. And Beth's dad had lived a long life as a believer in Christ. But it was still incredibly emotional and sad as we grieved this loss for this family. And we talked about his generosity and how great of a husband he was and dad and grandfather and all that stuff. But in the end, I was able to say his hope, our hope, was not in that. His, our hope that we cling to is because he knew with full assurance of faith, Christ. 
Right? And so now, not only can he draw near to him in this life, but he's with him for all of eternity. And so this family could cling, uh, just cling to that hope. And some of you know that. When you just didn't have anything but that, he says cling to it. Draw near to God. Cling to the hope. That's the command. Those two things. Right? And so uh, this, this idea here from the Hebrews writer is we must draw near to God. We're commanded to do the greatest thing in the world. How hard of a command is that? Draw near to God. See, what does it mean to draw near to someone? You ever think about that? What does that mean? It, it just literally means to go into someone's space. Right, and it depends on who it is. When they come into your space, right, you can be very uncomfortable with that if you don't trust them. Why? Because you're vulnerable, right? There's no more separation. They could hurt you because they're, they've drawn near. But if it's someone you trust and love and care about, it feels really good. A hug, an embrace, a conversation, listening, right? Drawing near, walking with each other in life. That's drawn near. I remember as a um, really, really little kid, because I barely remember this, but I still have a scar to prove this. Um, I don't know about you, but my mom used to drag me shopping. Um, and I was the worst. You would feel so bad. I mean, if some of you got kids that are like me, I was like, Ugh. it made me feel weak when I went shopping, right? So when she brought me grocery shopping, it took two boxes of animal crackers just to get me through, right? She'd have to pay for the empty boxes at the end. And so I remember this one day. I, was, I had gone through both boxes. We get to where she checked out the groceries, and she's like, and I'm going, this is the worst day of my life, you know? And, and, he, and my mom's like, I can't take this anymore. And she's like, Jamie, just go walk over there by the wall. I'm just going to finish paying, or we'll get out of here. So I go, ugh, right? And, and so, of course, because I had to be so dramatic and I was so tired uh, that I had to lean against the wall. And, of course, Jamie being Jamie, I chose the spot in the wall where there was a rusty nail. My mom let, took her eyes off of me for 10 seconds, and she looked up, and there was blood pouring from my head. And she was like, someone help, right? She's like by herself, and this is before I think people really cared about kids. And so there was a grocery store worker walking by, and he's like, ugh. And, and he had, a, I'm not kidding you, I'm not making this up, he had a dirty rag. And he fired it at me. <laughs> and... Don't worry, though. My mom used that, but before we had hand sanitizer, we had this thing called mommy saliva. <laughs> it cleansed all germs. You know that, moms, right? And so, so the difference there, the grocery store worker did not draw near to me. That's separation, right? My mom did, and that's all I really needed was the comfort and presence of my mom. Later, I was at, I think, the doctor's office or the ER. I don't even know where she took me to get stitches. And, I, and as a little kid, that's freaking out. My brother, because they were here last night, and he was like remembered four years older. My mom saying, Jamie had stitches, and he didn't know what that was, and he just started to sob. My older sister didn't care one bit, so I don't know. But my, I remember being there, and I have this vague memory of being scared, and then my dad walked into the room, and he said, oh, and he had his usual joyful, you know, he had been working that day, and he came up to me, and he drew near, and it's all I really needed. Do you see, that's what drawing near is. It's when there's an intimacy involved, right? An intimacy just means a closeness, a walking with. And so when we're commanded to draw near to God, we're commanded. You can talk to him anytime because of Christ. You can worship him anytime because of Christ. You can request anything, and it promises he will do it. 
if it's within his will. And that's what we want. We don't want something outside of his will, so often he says no. But he promises that because of Christ. He's made a new and living way. And so we are commanded, if you're a Christian, to, to if you're not, then you need that faith in Christ, and then you are cleansed, you're made, you, the, the living way has been opened up, and you go into the presence of God. And so that's a command, right, to draw near to God. So then he, he sets that up for our, our, just our final couple of verses this morning to what we really want to get at is, is in a lot of ways as Christians, if you read the New Testament, to be able to draw near to God, we need to draw near to one another in the gathering. Watch what he says in um, verse 24. He says, and let us, the gathering, consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So first, he says, kind of like a doctor would say, don't neglect eating good food, don't neglect getting rest, don't neglect your health. The, 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 the writer of Hebrews says, do not neglect Meeting together. Clearly, some were. He says, it's a habit of some. He says, prioritize it. Don't neglect it. Get together, right, as the, the body of Christ. Why? Why do we do that? What happens, according to him, in the gathering? Well, the first is, I love that, he says, stir up. You know what that literally means? To incite, right? And it's usually negative, just like in the English, right? When you incite something, that's usually not a good thing like a riot or some kind of a mob thing, or right? You get people passionate about something very negative and destructive. But it doesn't always mean something negative. It can mean positive, to incite towards something great. And that's how he means it here. It's kind of like I was going to bring in my fire poker from my fire pit, but I looked at it and said, wow, this will get ash all over the place, right? But if you've ever stirred up a fire, right, there's like warm, like kind of hot coals, and you stir it up, stir it up, stir it up, you're inciting it, right? You, put, you blow on it, you put a little few twigs on it, and it starts to go. That's really not good if it's on your living room couch, right? But if it's in your fireplace, it's a good thing. So he's saying, what happens in the gathering? We stir one another up. We incite passion towards love and good works, towards drawing near to God, right? So like my example in the beginning, when I'm not feeling it, you lift me up. And I say, yes, I'm going to continue to follow Christ. When you're not feeling it, I help lift you up, right? And, and together, we hold each other accountable. We challenge each other. We pray for each other we in order to follow Christ in a difficult, difficult world. Because look at that last phrase with me. In our, uh, the font we use, they're all capitalized, but in the Bible, they're not. But that word day is, or should be. Because it's a specific day. It's not just any day of the week. It's a day talked about in the Bible as the day of Christ, the day of the Lord. The end of the end, right? When, when all things are fulfilled, and when judgment happens and all, right? And so he's saying, as you see the day, as the end draws near, right? All the more meet together. As you see it draw near. And so the, the New Testament writers often get um, criticized for their imminence, right? They believed that the end was near. They believed Christ was coming back in their lifetime. It's like, see, they were wrong. No, they weren't. They never said it for sure. In fact, Jesus said, you don't know the day or the hour. But 
they, right, they lived as if it was going to happen. They believed it, and so should we. I've had a lot of people ask me, Pastor, do you think this is the end times? Don't raise your hand, but how many of you asked that question? <laughs> and I said, I don't know. We don't know the day or the hour. But what I do know is we should live as if it is. And what I think was happening, and this is just my guess, right, move away from the scripture here, is I know for sure that some were in the habit of not getting together, but I think what's happening was they believed it was the end times because it was very unsafe. First 300 years of Christianity, you could be killed for gathering. You could be thrown in prison for gathering. You could be tortured for gathering. And so they were like, I don't know, that's what one of the signs that Jesus said was going to happen. It seems like he's coming back. Why don't we stay away from all of that and just wait for him? And, and the writer of Hebrews is like, no, 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 no. The more you think it's the end times, the more you feel like it's unsafe, the more that's drawing near, get together all the more. It's critical for your soul. And so we are commanded to draw near, but in order to draw near to God, we must prioritize meeting together. And this is where we kind of just want to land this plane together. Because... This is not, I want to be clear, this is not a COVID-19 thing. We've said since the beginning, this is a very complex issue. And we should be very patient with those who are compromised medically or who don't feel comfortable yet. In fact, we, if, if you are, you're here now, you're more comfortable, we should be contacting them and encouraging them. If you know someone that you haven't seen in a while, call them, email them, text them, message them, go see them social distance, whatever you need to do, we should still be stirring each other up as much as we possibly, possibly can. What this is, is a trend um, that a lot of, uh, we read a lot of articles, obviously, being in church leadership, and this is a trend that a lot of, you know, um, you know, prognosticators, they don't call themselves prophets because they're not, but they do a lot of research, they collect a lot of data from churches all over America, and they establish what are some of the trends happening. And so trends that they said were supposed to happen in the next five to seven years are going to happen in one year because of COVID. Let me just give you a couple, just a couple, nothing too long, just so you get an idea of what they're saying they're expecting to happen. Number one, at least 20% of those who attended church before the pandemic will not return. 20%. Of course, this number will vary from church to church, but early indicators point to this level of losses. Some of the former in-person attendees will become digital only, and most of this group, however, will not attend at all. The second big one is they believe that more pastors will leave vocational ministry over the next 12 months than any time in recent history. Some of the groups that they believe will not return, the decreasing attendance members. They were your members who had one time attended church almost four times a month before the pandemic. They were about twice a month or even once a month. COVID accelerated their trends. They are now attending zero times a month. The disconnected church member. If a church member is in a small group, his or her likelihood of returning is high. If they attend worship only, their likelihood of attendance is much lower. Three, the church is another activity church member. Those church members see gathered attendance as yet another activity on par or lower than other activities. They were the members who let inclement weather keep them from church, but not children's sports events. Commitment to the church was a low priority before the pandemic. They have no commitment to it post-quarantine era. And the last one I won't read too much is the cultural Christian. They're disappearing. In New England, we don't see too many of them. That's when you go to church just for cult cultural benefit. Uh, more of the Bible Belt area down south where it's still culturally accepted. Around here, you don't get much of a cultural benefit by being here, do you? 
So we don't have to worry about that one, but all, they are disappearing as well. I wanted to just point that out. Again, we don't know for sure if it's 20% or what exactly is going to happen, but that's the trend. And that's what we're most concerned with for just looking at it and understanding we cannot deprioritize gathering. It cannot be replicated. And if during a pandemic we got to be very careful about how we do that, that's fine. But when it wraps up, and unless the Lord comes, we believe it will, we have to recognize we must gather. We must. Because when we gather, I've said this to you so often, what happens is two things. You're encouraged, you're lifted up, and also you encourage others. Right, lately, because we don't have children's programs, you can hear children's voices. And that's hard. Parents come, you barely can pay attention. You just don't want your kids because you have a Jamie-like kid, right? And, and, and you just don't want them to explode and cause a great disturbance, and you're freaking out. But then you look over and you see another family doing it, and you're saying, I can do it too. That's what the gathering does. Last week, we had a kid. He was like two years old, three years old. And by the end of the sermon, he had his shoes off, and he was hitting himself on the head. And the only reason I was distracted is because I wanted to laugh and say, that's me, amen. That kid's going to be a preacher someday, right? And so it's encouraging. Man, maybe you're an empty nester, right? Or have gone through that. Your kid's left. And that's a hard time. And you know someone else. You put your arm around them and say, man, it's going to be okay. It's an adjustment. It's a change. But God's got you. Or you have little kids, toddlers, and, and, and others come and say, you will sleep again. God's got you. Or you have teenagers. I got that. Help me. Right? Help. And you've had teenagers. And, and, and you went through all that. But, man, you've seen what God's done. You can come alongside me and say, Jamie, I know it feels like you have failed as a parent. You haven't because God is with you. Right? Those simple things. You're a single, right? And, and, and you're, you're brought alongside other singles or married people who say, you know what? You're not a left-out soul because you're single. You're just as a, a part of the church. You are, you are encouraged, stirred up. When we're by ourselves, we do one of two things. We either believe our own hype and think we're okay because we're never challenged, we never see anything else, or we focus on our own failures and think we'll never be okay. And neither of those are true. But the gathering, right, it encourages. Man, even as a preacher, like, what do I do for you, Jamie? Just being here right now is an encouragement to me. And I know that because I preached for like three months to a camera only. And that was horrible. For a couple weeks, it was kind of interesting. And refreshing. I only had to preach once and I could go home. After that, it was terrible. I missed you. I missed the voices. I missed even a few of you who fall asleep. That's okay. I missed that. I didn't think I would miss that. But I missed it, right? Because you encourage me and hopefully I encourage you, right? And, and, and singing together and, and gathering and fellowshipping. Man, we have seen how important it is. You cannot replicate it through distance. To gather to stir up a passion to follow Jesus Christ. And so really just uh, what does that mean? And, and this won't take long. But it means that we have a, I just, this is not biblical. I just got, categorize it kind of how I see it. There's three sort of levels or versions of gathering. Maybe there's more. But the first is weekends. That's what we're doing here. So Saturday, Sunday morning, one of our services. It's so good to gather corporately. And I want to, uh, I'll especially do this at the 11 because that's our live stream. But if you know someone who still doesn't want to come to the building, that's okay. But let's encourage them to do something. And that is get together with at least a few people, maybe extended family or people you're comfortable with, and watch it together. Pray together, sing together, listen to the message together, respond together. 
out on your deck if the weather's still nice. But, but do that so at least you're still gathering with other believers, even if it's small and it's social distance and all of that, because it's getting to the point where too many months of just on our couch by ourselves is going to be damaging to our soul. And so if you know someone like that, encourage them to do that. Go do it with them and miss out coming here. But if you can do that to encourage someone, do it. Because I don't want to have anyone left behind and give up because they haven't been able to gather. It's that important. The second you see is, is smaller gatherings, right? So we, we had that video by Bob. We have small groups, prayer groups. We have um, online studies so, you know, you don't have to gather personally. We have studies that, that people are doing this fall um, that are basically small groups that have a purpose at a beginning and an end. Um, we have ministry teams. Sign up for one of those. Some of the best growing I've ever done as a Christian is the gathering that serves together and friendships built through that. Many of you know that. And lastly, it's informal. Don't neglect that. Invite people over to your house. Receive invitations. Gather together. Laugh, cry, make fun of me if you want. I don't care. Just gather together so that you might stir one another up, so you might identify problems. One of the things that's happening just in the world right now in this pandemic is people aren't getting checked up. They're not going to get themselves mentally checked, and they're seeing it. The hospitals are full of people with substance abuse, depression, all kinds of problems because they didn't get, their, get themselves checked. As Christians, it's the same way. We need to be checking up on each other. Are you okay? The gathering does all of that. And so whether it's right now or as we get out of this, don't deprioritize being with other believers so that you might be lifted up. And so as I pray, as we conclude our time together, I'm going to pray for the Lord to work on each one of us wherever we're at. Maybe you're doing great with this to keep going. Or maybe it's like I need to prioritize the weekend gathering. Maybe I need to finally just get in a small group. Or um, if, if you're, if you're uh, uh, here but from another church, Trust me, your pastor is going to be so glad that I preached this sermon. They will amen it all day. Just tell them. And they'll say, yes, where are you going to sign up for a small group, right? And, and just do that. Or maybe it's, you know what, i got to start inviting someone over to my house or whatever. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we think of this new and living way that Christ opened up. The gospel, Lord. God, I pray for anyone here who still thinks that it's performance that earns their way to heaven or to you, God. And they're feeling desperate. They're feeling alone. They feel like giving up. Lord, remind them that it is only faith because it's your grace. It's your unearned favor. You, Jesus, died for them. And all their sin and all their shame and all their brokenness, you took their place. Not just those nine people and myself, but many of us here. So, Lord, if there's someone here that's just, just feeling that way, draw them to you, that they might come to know you, believe in you, and know that living way to draw near to you. Lord, remind us to draw near to you every day, all day if we can, to walk with you, to pray, to worship, to be in your word. And, Father, I pray that you will work in our hearts about gathering together, that you will bring us here and prioritize the gathering, whether it's at home around the TV screen with others praying and worshiping, or whether it's here in person, a group, a Bible study, a dinner party. Lord, just give us that as we go through this next year, two years, three years, and beyond. Our young people here as they go off to college or they go off to the military or they do whatever you plan for them to do, that they would always, wherever they are, say, I need to gather with other Christians. 
And Father, that you would make it a priority in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Let's stand and sing. Thank you for listening to the Cornerstone Church podcast. To listen to more messages or check out our church, please visit cornerstonebv.org. If you are looking for a church home in the Blackstone Valley, please join us on a Sunday morning at either 9 or 11. We are a gospel-centered church where our lives are transformed by the power of God's Word.